River of Dreams. So we're we going to talk about the Atchafalaya River, Daniel? Yeah, we can talk about that. Atchafalaya. Or the Calcasieu. Bayou Ami. Bayou Tesh. Is it Tesh or Tet? It's Tesh. Yeah, Tesh. Bayou Ami, where we where good catfishing, is spelled A-M-Y. Yeah, we'll get y'all a little bit more Cajun lingo because I'm still having trouble. So we're going to talk about the, the DeVille. But, River. but we're gonna no, go. We're, we're, we're going back to Texas today. We're not gonna talk about these Cajun lands and waters. They're too complicated right now for me. So I don't know anything about them, but I can get lost out there. I'm sure real easy. So we're gonna talk about. Daniel has put together a masterful Pecos River trip plan. Well, I'm gonna talk about it. Okay, cool. Because it might sound better coming from somebody who didn't write it. <laughs> That's a good point. I probably just said we got all the info on the website. Daniel has put together a masterful, really in-depth plan uh, to do the Pecos River. He covers literally everything that you need to know, all the contacts, maps, pictures, breakdowns of the rapids, campsites. Hazards. Hazards, things to be aware of. Things you can to click bring. on gear lists. He's literally got it all. Like, you really, I should probably shouldn't say this, but you really don't have to listen to this podcast to learn how to go down the Pecos River. But we may tell you about some secret places I left out. And I'll tell you how to catch fish. And Mike's going to so hook you up So if you want to learn how to catch fish, <laughs> listen to the podcast. Or if you want to know secret spots. We're not giving up secret spots. Okay. Can't give up the secret spots. Well, you can give up, like, but we can not efficient stay spots. Tuned, stay tuned to the very end for the secret spots. Yeah, nice. There's a teaser for you. Give we're, them where, where the, one of those epic springs are. We're going to tell you about the unpainted canyon. Or we'll talk about hidden worlds in the canyon depths. All right, so going down the Pecos... You know, a lot of people use the devils as kind of the precursor to see what they're up for for the Pecos. It's a lot milder trip. Uh, It doesn't require as much effort. It's less remote. Um, If there's hazard or if something happens, there's easy ways to get out of that river at multiple points versus on the Pecos. Once you put in, you're in. There's no getting out, really, uh, without a hard two-day hike or something through probably the worst scrub brush you'll ever go through where everything you'll have more thorns in you just going off path for a little bit than anything else but the uh, so you put in at Pandale um, once you put in 61 miles there's 61 to 65 miles but 61 miles gets you there Um, the biggest issue is getting there and like Mike and I have always, like we've done in the past was we put into, at Pan, we stayed at the cabins at Pandale Crossing, right? And we'd come in the night before and that way we could hang out, cook a good meal that night getting in, kind of just have a little pre-party. Oh, it's the top river. notch, first class, really, really roomy, no, uh, the bunks are what? Zero bedrooms, one bath, or zero bedrooms, half bath, half kitchen. Yeah, there's a bunch of different cabins <laughs> there. 
But right now they're in the middle of selling it, so I don't know what's going to happen. Do they have any that are bigger than the Yeah, they have like a, something that sleeps like 10 people. What? Yeah, that big house up on the hill back behind. That thing sleeps a lot of folks. Oh, I thought they were all just one-room shacks. No. Kitchens, bathrooms, and uh, where six we bunk beds. You put one person on the floor. Whoever got there the last gets... Who did sleep on the floor last time? I don't know, but I know one of our camelbacks uh, leaked all over everybody. Who was it? Rocky. Oh, he, it, where, how did it leak on him? Because they laid on it and had the nozzle open, and all the water came out and uh, landed. He slept in bath. We thought he peed his pants, but... Um, he started the trip with a wet sleeping bag. Yeah. I think, was it Rocky or Todd? It was Rocky. It was Rocky, wasn't it? He, he shows up with pants other than jeans, finally. <laughs> yeah, he did do that. that was and good. Rocky just... Rocky's accident prone and things happen to Rocky. <laughs> but anyways. And people Rocky brings. Yeah, so I, th- I think you can stay at the hotels in Del Rio, Comstock Motel, which we did. Um, but I think staying at that river that first day, getting there and having the shuttle as you get there, have that shuttle just take you straight so you're not having to unpack, pack, unpack, pack. Yeah. I think that's the best way. You could even camp on the river's edge. There's a big bedrock shelf that... I mean, it's right there. It's nice. And once you're there, why not just go for it, you know? Yeah, I'd recommend that. We did it that way both times, right? At the at the crossing, in the cabin. Did we do that with Dan Pierce, too? Yeah. Because remember, it was raining. Yeah. It was pouring out. Was that with Dan? It yeah, was, was pouring down rain. It was... Well, what was funny about that, it was a, that, that one kind of odd cat that helped us shuttle him down that gave him 20 bucks to in the truck. Oh, the, and he pulls the up. Groundskeeper. The groundskeeper pulls up, and we're waiting on him so he could shuttle us down. And it—I mean, it is coming down, buckets of rain right now. And the guy goes, "Hey, I'm here to give you a ride." Or, and I was like, "Oh, you're taking us down to a shuttle?" And he looks at me and he goes, "What do you mean, t- taking you down to the river?" He goes, "Y'all need to get in your trucks and get out of here. It's going to be coming over the road here very soon." You remember that? Yes. And we're like, we don't have any trucks. We're just here. Our only way out is the river. He goes, y'all are crazy, but all right. Start loading them up. He wouldn't get out of his truck, wouldn't do nothing. I mean, it was raining. We kind of had to come to come to Jesus moment and decide, hey, we're in it together or not. It's, it's, it's coming down pretty good. We ended up getting like a foot rise that day, but it ended up coming out as an epic trip. So, I mean, we... We had a lot of info leading up where it was a safe departure, but if it's raining on that river, that's not what you want to do. Yeah, don't don't take this as us being risky and chancing it. We we had contacts, and we we, we bring knew, a satellite phone. We can contact everybody. Yeah, and we and, still had cell service a yeah, little bit at the at, at the, the cabins. Camp. Yeah, so we could kind of see what the rain forecast was, and we weren't we weren't taking any any real chances by getting on the river. No, we did we did multiple stops a day to make sure the weather wasn't changing yeah and we had enough time that we could we could hunker down and wait yeah, for it before to pass. we got way down where it was really dangerous. yeah because the, the river will come up way up deadly up yeah but it'll go down just as fast and as where we up. were at it's a lot wider yep it's not as you know at least for the first day yeah you know then once you get further down day three and four is when you get where it's really sketchy yeah and it starts it starts closing in the further down you go and especially when you get from you know lewis canyon south that's when it really starts to narrow. 
that's really when you need to take a lot of a lot of precautions when you're coming into that round. Plus, you've probably been there three or four days, and so weather patterns, it's only good 24 hours out. Yeah, typically. you have no clue what's going to so happen. So you don't know what's going to happen. And so any sort of rain, I want to make it clear that it is a dangerous, dangerous river on that sense. But, you know, we typically like to put in and make up a lot of miles day one, get away from where people can still have access there's still a lot of access from locals and stuff before the big ranch lands take over. So we, we kind of push down to mile 11 is where we like. Uh, on my last trip, we went to about mile 8, mile 9, somewhere in there. Camped on the river right on this rocky shelf. You see it start coming up. And that's a good for, you know, the standard paddle. That's not a bad paddle to get there, especially if you start your day late. Uh, push into 11 with if you have people on your trip that don't paddle as much mile 11 can really once you get past mile 8 the winds really canyon twist in a way that the winds that, really push the ledge camp was, was night 1 <coughs> no that's no, like night 4 that's a uh, ledge camp that you're looking at that's like night 4 this is ledge camp right there I thought that was the devil's river no that's uh, ledge camp that's that big bluff when you come up to ledge camp you're going to know going to see in a distance the big big golden cliff really high one of the biggest cliffs you'll see for the whole trip and oh, it, it comes yeah, around yeah, and yeah, it starts yeah. bending the river starts bending to your right and on the left right when you first get to that cliff that's the best access point and it's kind of it's elevated so you may get 10 15, 10 feet off the river but the scary part about that one is you see all the rocks that have fell mm-hmm. and you're hearing rocks fall at mile eight and nine, there's that there's a big ledge that gets you off the river, and you don't have any really cliff behind you, so you're on the you're on the <coughs> more the inside bank than the outside bank. We camped at mile eleven both times. Both though. times, because I mean it was yeah it was awesome. I that was when we were sitting now. there and we were wondering where Justin was. Yeah, and he was out looking for his, his custom rod and reel that he lost. No, that was in the flutes where he lost that. Is it not? He oh, just, yeah, that's right. He, he hung did. back that day. We He stayed back yeah. the first day just because he was Justin. Yeah, he's Justin. He's, uh, but Waste his time fishing the Milky. Because the water's not as clear right when it starts. No, it, it gets clear as you go down. And any sort of rain really murkies the water. Yeah, that you second know. time it was it was milky colored. Yeah. But, but we still it, caught fish. We got the first go when the water water levels were really really low. You know we were judging if we we're even gonna if it was just gonna be a drag fest. How low it was the first time we went. You know I think we were running at 40, 40 at Pandal maybe with the first trip we went. Man, I do not remember the level. But it was low where we were. Justin was like, "Well, there's no water in the river, mm-hmm. right?" But we ended up getting there and it was pleasantly. Better than we expected, except for the flute section. But yeah, the fishing I think was on because it was low, and they were held up in those pools a little bit better. That's all I can figure. But, or the second time we were behind somebody. Yeah, we ended up finding that had out. to be it. Yeah, well, you just don't know because it's such. But a- we caught more fish that first day on the second trip than we did on the first trip, even though we caught right. more fish further down. Mm-hmm. But that first day on the second trip, we caught we caught a lot more fish. But I bet you that group we had a group of six. I bet you we didn't we put through back 
I mean, we threw them all back, but I bet you it was 300 fish we between the group. We at one point. Huh? We totaled it up at one point. It was I a lot. I want to say it was like 150 to 200. 300 is a bit stretching it. Dude, we were catching 10, 15 fish a person a day. Not everybody, though. Not everybody? Rocky and Todd. True, they could have screwed up our numbers. But that that's a good point. Is like on this river, um, if you don't, you're going to, you can tear up a kayak easy. Right? And if you have a hole in it, fix it. Stop, take the time, fix it immediately. Because you're going to fight it the entire way down. Yeah, if you go to the website and look at the trip plan, you'll see a picture of all of our tents under the ledge camp. And in a red. See, you'll see a guy in a tan shirt holding up a red kayak, and he's draining water out of his kayak because he busted a hole in it. And he was draining it, what, once every mile or two? It was bad, yeah. And we patched it and JV welded it and duct taped it and yeah. everything you could Plastic imagine. weld, it was right on that scrubber hole. We didn't have the plastic weld, did we? No, we burned it with the lighter. We didn't bring yeah, the we tried to we tried to melt it back together, but it didn't work. But it's a so it, yeah. It don't don't bring well nowadays. The academy and the Bass Pro brand kayaks are a lot better than they used to be. But I think he had a Pelican. Was it a Pelican? I think so. I want Pelican. I know he the, sold it as soon as he got back. Yeah. Well, he sold it and he got a Hobie, so we wouldn't ask him to come down these rivers <laughs> anymore. He had a tough time, and it was really tough. And you know. That, that's kind of the, the, when you go on a river like this, grouping is really important. Kind of what we do is, Mike kind of sets the pace for fishing and going through the holes. I set the pace more for the day. We, we really kind of work real well in the fact that I'm not going to push too far too fast if we, if we have time. So if you have a guy that kind of sets the pace for the day, you have another guy that's fishing the holes and knows where it is, and kind of works together as a group like that. It's a really good dynamic to say, hey, I'm not going to push you past this, but at a certain point, hey, we're not going to get to our mark and get out of this river on time if we keep hanging back. Yeah, the guys in the back knew that if if they couldn't see me, then they needed needed to hurry up because I couldn't see Daniel most of the day. Right. You know, like when there's a good fishing hole, Daniel comes in, he catches the big fish in the hole because he's the first one through, and then he leaves. And I go way up ahead. And then we and sit fish and, we, and we fish for all the scraps <coughs> that all the, the smaller fish that are left because the big one bites first when Daniel comes through. And so I don't see Daniel for most of the day, but I know once I don't see him for long enough that I need to go ahead and go at a certain point because I know his pace. And you know, I'll never pass a hazard. Yeah, we'll always rate weight at rapids. You know, now that we've done the river a couple times, we know where the rapids are. And if you go look at the trip plan, Daniel's got all the 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 hazards laid out, so you can kind of make your plan and know when you can fish and when you can't, and when you need to hump it. Right. Based on where the rapids are, you know, after you cross a rapid, you don't want to stay forever. And yeah, and you want to don't you want to make sure your group. If you have like our first trip, we had six people, and so we all kind of hung in groups of two, roughly. Yeah. And then, um, or you have two in the back, two in the front, and then everybody kind of in between. And that works really well because you don't you don't ever pass a hazard with a group that doesn't know there's a hazard. 
So when you come up to a major hazard, you wait till everybody catches up. Yeah, you need to that. you need to run it as a group for sure because you need you usually scout it. You need to you know pull over on the side. You get scout the hazard because it's completely different with every water level, and you never know how much it's changed from the previous year. And yeah. it, if anything happens, you want people down there to pick up all your tackle boxes and all your stuff that's floating. Yeah, down when the you river. get the yard sale at the end of the rapid. Yeah, when you flip Jeez. over and. Yeah, it's it, it's been. I came it, across a funny picture the other day when I was going through old GoPro footage. Of, it was you and Luke sitting there in your kayaks, and you're like looking at the rapid. Like, I think somebody else was coming down. And, like, in the background, you see me, like, holding on to my upside-down kayak. No way. With, like, a tackle box in my hand. You need a And y'all weren't even looking at me. Like, y'all were just looking. I'm just kind of, like, floating. <laughs> it was the one when I broke my paddle. Oh, that one, yeah. It was the paddle breaker. Yeah, that one. Which, which one was that? The paddle breaker is, uh... Is that Louis? That's not no. Louis Canyon. I think it's... It was one of the first or second ones, I thought. No. no, it's further down. You always think that you're coming to it, but I think yeah. it's Shackleford. It's a three. It's a. It's a three. It's a good solid three. It's actually pretty, like at certain water levels, that can be a pretty good danger. It's easy when it's low because when, when you it's first, high, it's hard. When you're coming into that rapid, it's you're a, coming in and you kind of taking a hard left, and you think you're out of it. You think you're out of the rapid, and then all of a sudden, there's about a three, four foot kind of funneling drop that pushes you in these two big boulders mm-hmm. and if you're off a hair coming in you think you're supposed to go kind of in from the from right to left well it shoves you into the reeds yeah and you got to keep the reeds from like and, and you really have down. to dr- back your le- back end to the left and come in it from more of a left to right mm-hmm. and you miss the boulder that flips you yeah but if you don't, you get a boulder that flips you. <coughs> and so... Um, I snapped my brand new $400 paddle. I lost... Uh, last trip, I lost uh, about a, a good baitcaster setup. So if anybody sees it, if anybody finds it, I'll take it back. It's right there, probably floating. What's the one with the big boulder? The one I always flip on? The one we always... It's not even a name. It's There's not even a name to that. It's a big right. giant rock in the middle. Yeah. All right, so we're back. We had a short uh, intermission. My kids came outside and were being really loud. And uh, so I think we're somewhere on the boulder of death. I mean, doom. Yes. It's not death. The unknown boulder of doom. Yes. The unnamed, because it's not a named rapid. Yeah, it's just it's a just, big boulder yeah. in this real nice, calm, steady riffle. And at the end of it, all the water rushes to this big boulder. And you can see kind of the, the white water that just kind of pushes off to the right. It's actually a big keeper. It could be actually dangerous at certain water levels. <clears throat> but it looks like you just go in it, you take a right. And it and it takes you into the canes like normal. You'll be, I mean, canes will become your best friend as they whack you in the face a lot during the trip. And, uh, but every time I go there, it sucks you up and then you have to push off. But if you push off too hard, it flips you, you. flips you. So you have to weight yourself and push off at the same time. You have to like lean into the rock. Lean into the rock, push yourself off 
and you'll make it through, but I never do it. I always flip and lose half my stuff. It's, good it's, like, yard it's like second day. Like it's like the, yeah. It's usually the beginning of the second day. Yeah. And if you lose a rod that early, which I lost, I lost one of my Corrados last trip. Yeah, this river Devils it, it will chew up some rod and reels. This one, make sure you bring backup rod and reels. Bring backups and rig it up with keepers. I don't know if rod leashes will work that much because if it comes off your kayak, it's gone. It's gone. It's going to break the leash. You need to strap them down with bungees. Yeah, but leashes can work, but you may have a broken yeah. rod. Which all, a lot of the kayaks now have the the little tip protectors, and you can strap it in. Those are ideal. Yes. We talked on the Devil's River podcast about how we kind of rigged Rig up, up our kayaks, but now we're sitting here next to my Coos HD, and it's got. It's got tip protectors. I've seen mo- most of the ones they have now. A lot of them have it. Have some sort of a tip protector or the way to strap The Cuda has down. it. Yeah. They've <clears> got <throat> a way to keep your tips inside the boat and to strap your rod down with a bungee. Yep. Because see. the canes, the cane fields and the, the cane growing on the side of the river, you're, it'll just get your tip off your kayak and it'll snap it'll your pop rod. Pop into and, between the line and the pole mm-hmm. and rip all your line off. Yeah, don't stick your rods in the back rod holders where they're sticking up out the back of the yeah, boat. Yeah, unless you don't like that pole or you're looking for an excuse for a new yeah. setup. But make sure you do that on the last day, Bring not the first stick. day. But, you know, I, th- I think the the big thing that separates this from, like, the Devils is the Devils, you know, has a lot of restrictions. You know, the Pecos, there's camping spots everywhere. There are legal camping spots within the little gradient boundary. You know, you always want to err inside because it is private property, but it's very remote. And overall, we've seen we've seen people, ranchers, we saw the farmhand and different people. And, you know, and you can tell where people camp. And I think as long as you're following the guidebooks and kind of what we outlined on the website, those seem to be pretty standard campsites along the way. Yeah. And, and where they've been used. Of, I mean, you've got a lot of freedom. <clears throat> you can camp. There's so many opportunities inside yeah. the, inside the boundary. Just anywhere, you know, and you, you set your days. Like when you're planning a trip like this, you say, okay, I've got five days, right, or six days. Let's use six to make the numbers even. You know, you could say, okay, well, I'm going to paddle 10 miles every day, right? And that's just your goal. And you that's can find, not a bad day. That might sound like a lot if you haven't done a river, but... This river moves more than the Devil's do. Yeah, there's not a lot of big pools with, you know, 30-mile-an-hour right. headwinds. There's about at three. At the beginning. Yeah, at the beginning. Towards the end. Towards the end. You Towards know. the end. Middle to end, you yeah. start getting it. You know, the, the the biggest section with the water levels is you got to watch the flute section because you can either be hiking for miles or you can float right over it. It's only like a mile or two, though, isn't it? <coughs> when we went. Remember well, no, the like first even, time? Even the first time. I mean, yeah. you had to drag, but it wasn't. You're in and out. Because you're not dragging your kayak as much as you're just walking with it. Right. Because it'll float if you get out. And there's the little flutes, and we would stand up and kind of pull our way yeah. through those and stay in the channels. Yeah. And you can make some ground. It's still kind of frustrating. Eventually, you're like, screw this. I'm getting out, and I'm walking. Yeah. And you walk a mile, and two, it could be more. But overall, you're in and out a lot for several miles. 
Um, that's a tough, that's usually day two, day three, depending on your trip mileage. But, you know, we like to start, like we said earlier, like to start. That's put, after Quartz Rock came. Yeah. You know, you're looking between there and the, like the overhang camp where the, the, the canyon walls start looking like a surfing wave. Mm-hmm. And in between that section, that's where the flutes really get um, complicated. Right after Quartz. That's, that's that Quartz, pit. right? That's that Mile pit. 17 is Quartz. That so overhead that, yeah. camp right after that, that's where it starts really shallowing up. Mm-hmm. But the fishing's, the fishing's really good around that area. That's a that's a, that's a, a especially after the flutes. Yeah, it, it's it, good. It's really it's so damn good everywhere. It's just it, they're pockets. So they're pockets. Good. You know, and, you it's know, so you, good. They yeah. ha- they hang out next to the deep holes, and anytime you find big chunk rock down at the bottom, just same same t- kind of tactics you use on the devils. Yeah, just throw in the shadowy areas, but there's a lot of undercut banks. Uh, here more so than on the devils yeah and, and it might just look like a straight bank but if you look closer there's like an undercut underneath the cane and uh and that's where they, they they'll they'll get up in there kind of out of the current and and you'll just throw it next to the reeds and you'll see a bass just kind of shoot out just snag it yeah and that that cane kind of overhangs the water so it grows mm-hmm. out and overhangs so when you're seeing the edge of the cane it actually cuts back under it and that's where a lot of the fish are yep that's where we caught a lot of, and they're running. They're running those edges, mm-hmm. or they'll hold up on, on in a shadowy ledge of rock in the middle. Yep. Um, real similar. They don't like the real fast current like they like devils as much. It seems to be that they're in more of the pools than, you know. But in between rapids, you'll have a pool. Yeah, you're not be, you're not dealing with smallmouth on the pickers. right. There's, they like the eddies. Yeah, the bass. Bass want to stay out of current as much as possible. Smallmouth will be a lot closer to it. They may not be right in it, but they're going to be right next to it. They'll find an eddy right at the bottom of a rapid. But the bass are going to they're going to get those deep, long, open pools, yep. and they're going to be next to the boulders uh, or next to the bank. And there's and, a lot of boulders. Yeah, you a fish lot of those big boulders, boulders. They're good. There's some areas with the current that they're in there, but they're held up around those. In the bigger eddies, you know, where it's a little calmer. Um, but, you know, it's it's one. I think the biggest thing about that river is, man, it is. It takes you to really enjoy that river. You need six days. Yeah. You know, seven, eight is, is great because you can actually post up in one of those big pools and fish it all one day. I would you know. kill to have eight days <coughs> on that river. Yeah, we did. Oh, my gosh. It was great. I can't even imagine. But getting, we're going to fast forward and then we'll back up, but like getting out of that river, a tow out is a recommended idea. You got to set that up through your shuttle person because that section of flat water can be really rough and a big headwind that... There's a sections you can't even move forward for the amount of wind. It's like a wind tunnel. Yeah. Because of the canyon. Yeah, and it just all funnels right there, and it's just like a wall of wind that it's almost impossible to, to move. You have to wait till it dies, paddle a little bit, wait till it dies, paddle a little bit. And we, I mean, I think we hit the lake. We did the, the full lake section, and it took us, 
with that wind, and we had a good wind, but it was it was rough. We were kind of surfing waves all the way back. We had a, we had a north wind so strong that you couldn't paddle fast enough to keep up with it, so it would end up just jacking your kayak sideways. Yeah. Like, it wasn't like pushing you. It was pushing you so fast that you would start surfing a wave. And then it would push And then you. it would break, and it would jack you to the side, so you had to paddle as fast as you could. Non-stop. Non-stop. And still it wasn't enough. And if you just stopped paddling, you would turn sideways and eventually run into the bank. So, there's no good wind. It's Yeah. Just, yeah no wind is the best wind. Yeah, which yeah. that never happens in Texas. But the the tow out's a good idea. You get an extra day of being on the river. You can extend that miles and have shorter days. Like we'll do eleven miles, eight miles, and then do five miles, right? And then do another five mile day, and then kind of stretch it once you get past Painted Canyon. The the, the fishing still they're still fishing, but you know you're kind of on your last day. It turns to crap after Painted Canyon, and even. Even getting like the last few miles before Painted Canyon, I didn't, I didn't do well on any of my trips. Yeah, on, it really doesn't have trip. a lot. It's real, just canyon. It's pretty shallow. It gets pretty shallow. Yeah. I mean, you, and then even in Painted Canyon, it's like super deep <coughs> and it looks beautiful, but I only catch that one fish in that cave every time. Yeah, there's a fish in the cave. There's in the a rock. fish in the cave in next the rock, to Painted Canyon. The, the jumping boulder. Right before you get to um, Painted Canyon Rapid, there's a big boulder you can jump off yeah. of. Yeah, there's a cave to your right, and there's a fish. I guarantee there's a fish in there. And, and he probably has a brush hog and a hook in his mouth because I broke off on him twice <laughs> last year. La- not last year, last trip. Last trip, I don't think I caught him. I caught him the first trip, but the next time I broke off and he wouldn't bite again. I mean, fishing is awesome, but there's also like a lot of side trips out there. I didn't go into like where all the pictographs are, but you can see them just floating by in some of the, the shelters. A lot of those are on private land, but the guidebook will give you more detailed information. And it's and you know me. Where, where can you get the guidebook? Uh, I got my have, copy you, I, from. You have a link on the. Uh, yeah, I've got a link, and it links you up to Austin Kayak and Canoe. So there'll be a, there's a link on the on the trip plan webpage. On, you can on get the it website. from Amazon. Austin Kayak, I know they usually keep a copy or two. They're usually dusty on the shelf. Um, it's a well worth to pick up. It gives you a little bit of topographic maps in it, uh, different campsites, and gives you some of the information I have, but it doesn't give you all how to put it all together sometimes. Um, also, it gives you a lot of info on the pictographs, the cave paintings along the way. And there's a lot of them, and it's well worth scheduling your days to kind of pick out and go look at a few of them. Uh, some of them are off limits by permission only. It uh, doesn't really give you a whole lot of information to do that, but, you know, if you do some searching, that's part of an adventure is, is playing in a little bit things out your own and getting some of the info and trying to contact them to get some, get some access maybe. Um, but camping on that river, I mean... We didn't really go over it the last time, but you know, a stand up when you have a self supporting tent, it's the best way. Um, everything is bedrock. Yeah, there's no, there's hardly any trees. There's no way not. to really put stakes, but you could use, like, if you don't have a um, freestanding tent, you could use, like, 
uh, like say you have a, a shelter, you could use your paddles as, if you have a breakdown paddle, you could use that as kind of some stake poles. And then you can get some paracord and put a bunch of rocks in like a, you could have like Dan Rodriguez, we did a podcast on, he uses Crown Royal bags, puts rocks in them. And then that's how he stabilizes his kayak instead of, the way I do it is I just take my paracord. Stabilizes his kayak? His tent. Oh, but he didn't stay in a tarp. No. Did you stay in a tarp? No. I wouldn't with all those damn centipedes or, what are they? There's a million millipedes everywhere. Is it millipedes? But they're centipedes. Centipedes. Scorpions. Scorpions. Spiders. Yeah. Tarantulas. Don't don't bring a shelter. Get you a tent. (coughs) Go go to Academy or or Bass Pro and get you the, the ascent. No limits. Yeah. No limits tent for like fifty, 50 bucks. bucks, and That's that thing's solid. It weighs like four pounds, which really isn't that much. Yeah, and it works good. But don't leave your tent door open because as soon as it gets dusk, as soon as it gets dusk, Daddy Long Legs come out <laughs> in the thousands, and they're in your tent crawling around on your face if you leave your tent door open. Everywhere. So make it, if you have an open shelter. Um, just, I hope you like bugs crawling around your, in your nose and ears and mouth while you're snoring at night, because there will be plenty of them. The mosquitoes weren't that bad though, were they? No mosquitoes. I, don't, I mean, if you get one of those little stagnant pool canyons where the, the water's still stagnant, you'll find a few, but overall, no. You know, it's just, um, it's a... There's just a lot of bugs. Everything wants to bite you, poke you, stick you, cut you, bruise you, break you. Yeah, the cactuses are no joke. Dude, the oh god, the cactus, cactus everywhere. You'll be climbing up a little rock shelf. You put your hand in some prickly pear, and oh god, it's and it just it's just horrible. Um, but the side hikes are awesome. You go up in these little canyons. So, but I think one thing, Mike, we need to really talk about is the water situation. Yeah, bring oh, bring water for the first couple of days because even filtered, it kind of tastes like butt. It tastes horrible. It's dehydrating. It's alkaline. Yeah, it's nasty. And you feel dehydrated, but you're hydrated. You're still peeing clear. Bring you know? lemon packets, Gatorade, Mio, whatever you wherever you your your flavor of choice to mix with it, but filter it and still mix it with something because it's still it's horrible. It's just it's just fun. Real chalky flavor. You feel thirsty at the end of the day. I think the lemon, those lemon crystals, those were probably the best thing that came in handy. Todd brought them that first trip. Oh yeah, and we, it, we were, were like, like painted was, canyon. I was. I was trading him cigarettes and rum. Yeah, I was, for lemon packets. He, he's like, man, can I, can I get a little bit of that rum? Hey, how many lemon packets you got left? Yeah. Because it like, was... Uh, I'll give you a shot of rum and a cigarette for three lemon packets. Anytime I talk about um, those lemon packets, I give Todd 100% credit for those things. Because now they're always in my my kit. Mm-hmm. You know, on when the water, day. yeah, when every the water is not quite ripe, you can put one of those lemon crystal, a couple of those lemon crystal packets in, and man, it freshens it up, gives it a light flavor, and kind of deal with it. And the ones he was using were like the ones that you buy. You'll see them on the counter at the gas station. Yeah. 
for like emptying in your beer or something. It's just those little lemon packets. They look like, like salt and pepper packet, but yeah, lemon. they're like five cents a piece, and you just pick up you know ten, fifteen of them. Yeah, like you can go on 20. Amazon and get a whole box of them oh, that yeah, last year a year. They're dirt cheap and they're they're super good because it's not overpowering. It just gives you like a hint of lemon. You know, it's like drinking like weak lemonade, which is pretty good when you're drinking you know lukewarm water. Yeah, for seven days. Yeah, and one thing that I always do is I cut water. So what I mean is, like, I may start off with a gallon of water. You know, you may have two camelbacks full of water, which, you know, 200 liters, I guess. Is that what it, 200 ounces. And what I'll do is, is whenever I fill up, I may drink half of that and I fill up, and I'll add river water to that good water. And it slowly, it slowly acclimates you to that river water over a course of a couple of days. Man, you never told me about that. I told y'all that about it. I was like, just add it to your good water. I didn't know about all and that. And then you, you dilute the crappy water with the good water, and it tastes better just for, maybe it's only an extra day. But you have it, it's that much closer to the end of dealing with the pond water. Yeah, because you get to the springs. Yeah, you How can How far get, down are the springs? Okay, well, there, there's one spring that I didn't know existed until the last trip. With Daniel and them? Yeah, and we, we came up to it. It's a really cool little camp spot. Daniel knew about it? Or how did y'all find it? it we just kind of came to an area. There was the wild horses. Mm-hmm. And there was this big meadow, and it was just really pretty. So while you're in the flutes? No. Before quartz camps. Before quartz camps. It's called Everett Canyon. Before Quartz Canyon? Yeah. I there, thought the wild horses were down in the flutes. They they run that whole river for oh, about really? 20 different... Oh, really? Yeah. And so, they, they run up and down that river, but they I just I not know how much access they had up, up further. Yeah, further they have it all the way up yeah. a ways. And we pulled up to it, and I'll just say it's Everett Canyon on the map. And you can go find it the rest of the way. But it, it's a it's such a unique thing. It's been building itself, and it's like its own little unique, um, what do you call it? when Ecosystem. Ecosystem right there. And it needs to be treated with 110% respect if you do come upon it. It's a little hike to find it. How far? I can't give all the details. you got to explore a little bit on your own. I don't know where the heck it is. It's in a canyon off to if the left across exactly. from a meadow. <laughs> I mean, you remember us trying to find a spring that first trip? Oh, God. We were like, oh, here's Oh, Chinaberry? Don't look for Chinaberry Look, look for Chinaberry bush. Do That's not fun. look for Chinaberry Creek if you have the guidebook. Don't waste your time. It's impossible to find. Unless you got I don't think it exists. Unless you got I don't coordinates, think, you're not finding it. You, it. Which they probably have coordinates in the guidebook, but that first trip we were basing it off of Justin's freaking Justin, pictures if you're of li- the map. If you're listening, Justin, we love you. No. Justin ain't listening to this podcast. <laughs> hey, Justin. His, his maps. We were sitting there looking for this one spring one day. And Justin. Let's not use Justin. Let's call him. They don't know his last name. Yeah, but a lot of people probably know him. Nah. Anyways, so Justin. J- Justin pulls out his. his when we're, He's looking at this satellite imagery. And he was like, dude, it's right here. 
it's right, we're right here. And we're like, no, it isn't. We passed that a while back. And he goes, no, it's like right here. And we're in the flute section. Mm-hmm. And it's off to the right in this little draw. He was like, no, it's right here. And I was like, dude, you're looking at a picture. Yeah, like it's, how do you know where we are? It was are? like a screenshot of a map that he took. We thought he had this like live at live GPS. <laughs> know, it was like tracking us and like, oh, we're right here. No, just pictures of a map. Like, I think we're right and here. And I have it GPS on my watch. Yeah, you were tracking us with no map, and he had a map with no tracking. So we were basically just F. Yeah. But now, now we go down, we preload the maps on our GPS get apps on our phones, because you can get GPS service without having cell service, no matter where you are. Yeah. And we highly recommend that, because it helps you keep track what of where you are What app do you use for that? What's your app? It's called GPS Kit. GPS it's Kit. It's $9.99, yeah. but... It's worth every penny. I use that for deer hunting. I use it for bass fishing. Yeah, it comes in. I use it for everything. It's clutch. You can overlay it with <clears throat> aerial photos. You can overlay it with topo, uh, topo maps. maps. Just everything. It's it's worth every penny. It's the most expensive app I have, but yeah. at nine dollars and ninety nine cents, like it's it's cheaper than going out and buying a GPS. Yeah, but the water the water situation is a real situation. The lower the water. Uh, the more alkaline it is. So the lower the levels you're going in, the more water you'd probably want to bring in. I recommend people start, if you've never gone on a river where the water quality of drinking is just terrible, I'd recommend bringing a couple of gallons between everybody. It's not that much weight when you're thinking about it. I used to be so much on pinching weight, but now I've gotten to the point where I'll pinch on weight in certain aspects and others I don't care as long as I'm not carrying it where I'm going to be dragging. Yeah, bring you 16 pounds of water to start. You know, yeah. Two gallons. You're going to end it in a day. You're going to be done yeah, with half you're going to be down to eight gallons after the first day because you're going to be Yeah. You're going to be drinking it. And, and it's worth it because the springs aren't you have to be able to look at the water and see where the spring is compared to the other cut quality of water where that spring's gushing out. And a lot of those springs are coming up from underground. Mm-hmm. So when you're getting water, you're getting it from springs, so it's not as alkaline as the main river source. And it hasn't really traveled along those uh, limestone beds to pick up that alkalinity. And so you'll get it out of that spring where the water doesn't taste that way, but you have to be able to recognize it. And some of the ways you can recognize it is by the different plant life in that area. So you're looking for real green, mossy, you know, plant life. Yeah, where you won't see it most of the time. Yeah, and all of a sudden it, and it becomes extra clear, and it may even have a temperature difference. And if you come to a little pool or a cut back in the river, that's where you're going to find the good water, right? Or even a side canyon, right? One of the side canyons, you may see like a little water trickling out, and that could be rain water from a previous deal, which is going to taste better than the river water. So you're looking for all the different signs of water that's not live in that lives in that river. You're looking for what's flowing into that river. Side canyons, different clarities. Look at the vegetation. Look at the feel the water temperature difference, and you're going to start noticing a lot of springs because that whole stretch is spring fed. It's not coming from Odessa. 
you know that river no, isn't coming from Odessa. It's coming. It's it comes back to life from the springs. Because it starts. I mean, that river is six hundred something miles long. Yeah, it starts in New Mexico. It starts in New Mexico, and there's several dams along the way. And, and the, in the, far west Texas, it's it's nothing but a trickle. Like you can hop over it. It's mud. Yeah, it's, it's just nothing. destroyed river. I mean, it, it could have been a pretty river, but they've just pumped a lot of it out. Different times of the year, you have to realize that those aquifers are feeding farms and things like that. So your water consumption is much higher during the summer, and that drops those aquifers, which drops that water level. And so the springs become, you may come up to a spring that was there one time in higher water right after rain and the next time it doesn't exist so don't base your survival off of springs when you need water drink that's so important Mm -hmm. is to stay hydrated especially because even though you may have temperatures forecasted at 80 degrees there's no shade sitting 80 degrees at three o'clock after you've been on the water all day you're i mean there's pictures on our instagram of me climbing up a side of a cliff staying in a shadow for an hour and a half because it's 95 Dude, degrees. that was the hottest freaking day. Oh, yeah. my God. We found a... Yeah, from found, a flood. We found a, uh, an old umbrella. Like, you have it like a little backyard patio table. We found a wooden umbrella that I guess had been washed down by the flood. And we set that sucker up and just pointed toward the sun. And the sun was low in the sky. So we all had to just kind of hunker down. I mean, we were like basically... There's a picture on our Instagram on it, too. We were basically snuggled up next to each other, hiding, just trying to stay in the shade because we were so It was baked. scorching. It was scorching. Of course, he, Danny, Danny Pierce got in his kayak and paddled across the river. Into the cane. It, it, like, drove his kayak up into the cane and was taking a nap in his kayak for like two hours. Yeah, he was smarter than us. Yeah. Yeah, we're we we, we just suffered. We suffered on the bank while he was snoozing in the deal because we'll we like to get to camp probably three o'clock ish. You know, we get like the the fish are biting all the time, so we like to go find our campsite where we can fish all afternoon, explore a little bit, and uh, set up camp. And then when it starts getting dark, you kind of pile in and start cooking and having a good time and just kick back and enjoy the stars because you, you won't find them much brighter anywhere else in the, in, no, the, in the United States that way. And that's that's the, one of the fun parts of the trip is you spend, that's what's great about kayaking is you get to get away from everybody and you have your alone time like all day. You come together on the rapids, then you're alone for hours, and then at the end of the day you all get to come together on the campsite, yep. at the campfire, and share the stories and you know tell lies about how many fish you caught because nobody actually really knows that's right <laughs> and, and i mean you are kind of by yourself all day you're fishing right you only come together for maybe a lunch or and sometimes we don't even eat lunch we just eat kind of we snack a lot all the way down the river just yeah, kind of you, keeping snack, our, you snack right before a rapid yeah or waiting on somebody you pull out your snack pack and just start eating a little bit so we don't really have these formal lunches don't bring snack packs they might spoil yeah i have a i carry a dry bag that i carry so when i do my food i pre-package each day individually and i write on there day one day two and big vacuum seal bags and then i have another dry bag so once i cut that open for the day all of that 
go all the snacks and stuff for the day go in that dry bag. I seal that up and I clip it to the back of my kayak seat. And then the uh, my my meals for the evening are another dry another vacuum seal, and I put those back in my dry bags that sit inside my hole. So I actually can have a little bag that I can just pull out snacks, lunches, whatever I want throughout the day and still keep my other food dry because you will get wet. You will get water in your hole. You know, you you all your stuff may get wet during the day, so dry bags are extremely important whether they're inside or outside. I like to keep I keep two sponges, big kayak sponges inside my hole. So kayak any sponges yeah. Do they make kayak sponges? Yeah. Do they really? Bailing, bailing sponge. Made for a kayak? Yeah, those are the ones I have in my kayak. Kayak-specific sponges? Yes. They, they're they about... I mean, you could go to the... They're the same as the car wash, but somebody marked them. <laughs> yeah, I bought kayak, kayak like, sponge. Like, God dog it. Somebody beat me to it. I'm like, wait a second. I can go buy sponges from Walmart and charge three times the price. That's right, and call it a kayak sponge. But they're we're bailing gonna, sponges. We're going to make Pecos River sponges. Yeah, and you put them in your kayak... And then that way, when you stop and you're getting something out, you can just kind of squeeze out the water because you'll always get a little bit of water in it just because the, the rapids, there's a lot of force in some of those rapids. And if you if you don't have a real good sealed hatch, you know it's going to come in. Yeah, you're going so, to get wet. And the other reason for having the separate dry bag for your food is you don't want to have to be digging in your hatches and opening up your big dry bag with everything else in it. You want to have like one small dry bag with all the stuff that you're you might need during that day with your food yep. with your little uh lemon packets for your water you know first aid um you know your phone your cameras all that stuff something that you can get to easily that you don't have to bust open everything and get to right and that i i have a camp bag and that's all my camping gear and then i have another bag for my food, and then I have another bag for my essentials, my day essentials. Mm-hmm. Just like that, and it's really worked out great. And I've got it down to two little bags now. Yeah, three is about all you need. Mm-hmm. One big one for your camp gear, medium one for your, uh, your make, food, make and sure a small your, one for your... And then your tackle needs to be waterproof. Yeah, I'd recommend getting the... They, they, they sell, like these little tackle boxes the the hard-sided like plano boxes they make some that seal that keep water out and those are your best bet because you're gonna have water in your kayak throughout the day and you don't want your boxes filling up with water and yeah. if you do flip and they you know your boxes are gonna fall out because they're usually not tied down they're usually sitting at your feet and you're changing baits all day you want them to float and not fill up with water and sink that's right so Spend the extra few bucks and get you two. All you need is about two because everything else is plastics. We don't throw a lot of hard baits with treble hooks, mainly because we haven't really had that much success with them, but secondly, because you don't want treble hooks floating around in your kayak or hanging from your kayak because... There's a lot of river cane you're throwing to as well. Yeah, there's just... You don't want to catch a treble hook in the leg while you're on the river. Yeah. I mean, you can... We can briefly discuss tackle real quick. And if you listen to the Devil's River podcast, you'll know what I'm going to say. Get you some swim baits, some some plastic watermelon swim baits. Zoom makes a good swim bait. You can throw it Texas rig with a peg weight, or you can throw it on a weighted hook. Either way seems to work pretty well. 
you don't get hung up. Uh, I use a belly hook, belly weighted hook. Yeah, weighted hook. Yeah. Uh, and anything with a paddle tail. We've also done really well on brush hogs, you know, creature crawl style baits. Wacky know, worms. Uh, yeah, wacky worms. We've done well on wacky worms. And the color just seems to be watermelon, anything watermelon. Yeah, and it's pretty much hold true for all the trips that we've taken. Uh, you bring a lot of them because you're going to go through them or bring some glue repair because you're going to go through a lot of baits. Yes, either bring a million of them or the bring glue to glue back bashes together. River hit so much. They're so much stronger. They hit up fast. They hit hard, so you got to set, and they bite hard, so you got to set the hook hard. I recommend going with heavier line, you know, something 15 pounds or, or higher in fluorocarbon. A lot of abrasion. Yeah, it's got more abrasion resistance because the rocks will, will wreak havoc on your line. So you're going to want to retie several times throughout the day, you know, after every couple of fish because you're going to nick rocks. Yeah. But the, yeah, that's, shoot, I don't think I caught on anything else. We, no, no, no. We no. never really got on a topwater bite. No. Which we tried. Yeah, you always want the top one. But it was just, it was swim baits and brush hogs. Yeah, I mean. You throw the swim bait while you're moving down quick, moving down the rapids, and if you ever, like, anchor up or you get to a slower pool, you can throw your crawl or your brush hog and sit there and work it slow around the boulders. Yeah. Uh, Or if you see a fish and you just cast straight to it. It, Um, it, But, yeah, that's, that's the main stuff that we've caught on. And there's a lot of shallow stretches on the Pecos, with, and then you come to deep pools. And so when you're in a deep pool, you may go another two miles without really a deep pool, three miles. So fish those pools. Take advantage of those moments. Mm-hmm. Fish them. Fish them hard. And you're going to catch a lot more fish than if you think, oh, I, it's windy in here. Use the wind to your advantage. Get up in the front of that pool and let it drift you back mm-hmm. if you're on that way. Or vice versa, you know, if you're coming in and you have a tailwind, sit in the middle of that. Let it drift you down and or run fish up, it. run up on one of those. There will be a lot of boulders in the middle. Hang up on run one. Run up against one, or if there's one just under the water, I'll, I'll get out and I'll stand on top of the boulder. You know, just take my, my kayak leash and, and stick it in my belt and and just sit there and fish. And most of the time, if you, if you find a fish, he's not the only fish there. That's right. There's a reason he's there, and there will be many more. I mean, most of the really good holes, we would catch 10, you know, 15 fish. 10, 15 fish out of the one hole. You know, it was rare that you would catch one and there wouldn't be like five or six more in that general vicinity. Yeah, and they, they kind of, they remind me a lot of like when you're fishing for specks, you get one bite and they all start biting. Mm-hmm. If you miss one, they all shut off. Yeah, because there's not, it's not pressured. You yeah. know, there's not, I mean, it, it may be getting more so now, you know, and Part of me hates that we're helping everybody get on this, but I don't want to be the selfish fisherman and try to keep people out of my hole because I want everybody to experience this. Uh, But they're they're unpressured fish, so they see a lure, they come after it. And if they don't bite it, you can throw right back out there, and as soon as you get it by them, they're going to eat it every stinking time. Yeah, and you side casting a lot of fish. Yeah, if you see a fish, just cast at it. He's going to hit it. Yeah. Every time. There's not <coughs> unless you hooked him already. If you hooked him and broke off, sometimes he won't bite. But I've last trip we went on, I flipped to a three pounder and broke off right at the boat. 
and picked up my other rod, flipped to him, and caught him on the next cast and got my bait back. Yeah, that, that's happened several times. I think yeah, Luke, it happened They Luke. are freaking aggressive. I don't know if they're just hungry because there's not enough bait in there <laughs> or if they're just not pressured and they hadn't seen baits. But it's nice. It's freaking... It's, it's, a, it's a lot less pressured than the Devils by far. Oh, yeah. But it is... But it takes a lot more time and effort to go into it. You know, I've seen... It takes a lot out of you. The river takes a lot out of you. It's hot... Even in good months, it's still hot during the day. You know, it can be cool at night. It can get real cold at night, depending on when you're going. Um, spring, you're worried. In the springtime, you're worried about all the, the rain. You don't know when those showers are going to pop up. Almost like monsoon rains come through there. And so you, you, there's stressors about that river because there is no way out. So satellite phone, a good plan, which I, I, did, put a, I did put about another article up about creating a trip plan that you leave behind and that way if something does happen people kind of know where you're going to be along that river utilizing satellite phones to make that call if you get into a real sticky situation you can crawl out in some points real high up on some of those hills and catch some cell phone service but you got to get pretty good service most areas we were at for a satellite phone, but regular cell phone. Oh yeah, yeah, no. I, regular cell phone. If you're bring, in a bring a sat phone. Yes, yeah. you what rent does them. It cost three hundred bucks. No, to rent it costs what? We always pitch in about twenty five bucks, and we got one for a week for unlimited text. I want to say it was more like sixty or eighty. But that was the rent. last one when we did oh, the elk for, the for twelve trip. days. There was only four of us. Yeah, and there was only four. Yeah. So a sat phone is yeah, well just worth get the a rent. Sat phone. It's, it's so it's such good insurance. It's peace of mind. Your parents and your wife won't worry. Just people can send you text messages. You can read them. You can send text messages back. When you're trying to call in that canyon, you're missing satellites because you got high walls, so you lose a lot of connections. But the texts work real well, and people can give you updates on the weather along the way, and you don't have to call unless they say call. If you get a good trip plan, they won't bug you. You know, so it's it's a real important aspect of going, especially as remote and long of a duration as that trip is, to have some of that extra insurance. And I put all the contacts in one of my trip plan for that Pecos. I used my Pecos trip plan when we were under flash flood warnings of how to um, watch to watch us. Uh, Don't go on the river with a flash flood warning or watch really. Um, yeah, the watch happened after we were on day two. Yeah. But it went away. We, we yeah. got text saying, call, flash call, flood call. watch, call, call, call. By the time we called, it had kind of dissipated. Yeah. And we set rocks to watch the river level. We all we each got yeah. up and checked the water each, you know, every couple of hours. Night. Yeah, we would set up like a rock carn on a rock somewhere that you could measure. And you put the rocks kind of equal in distance. So, like, you'll find a bunch of flat rocks that are an inch or two. And then if you're if you're setting that on the river edge, or any given point, you that you know where the water level is at that moment, over a course of time, you can watch. You say, okay, well we think the water got a little murky. Well, that's when you really have to worry, and so you're going to sit there and you're going to watch it, right? And all of a sudden it goes two inches in thirty minutes, right? We'll start doing the math, right? You're going to start doing that math and going, okay, well, it could come up in a foot in the next, you know, four hours. 
or you watch it and it comes up and it goes back down you just had a little bump in the river so you can start watching that and as if it's coming up rapidly you know that's that point to say hey it just came up three rocks six inches in the last 30 minutes let's get the heck out of here we need to go up to high ground stuff isn't worth it go up to high ground watch that rock from a distance they call it a flash for a reason yes and when you say flash flood daniel rodriguez within an hour it went up an hour it went up 20 30 feet yeah so when you start seeing that river rise that's not the point to say oh let's hang out that's the point to say hey let's start going up let's move up a shelf or start finding a deal or get out of that canyon it's not it's worth the hike Worst case is you got a great view, but you're safe and you're sound. Make sure you bring, pack a little bag that you like. I'll have like my my essential bag that I can just throw on my back and haul ass out of there if I need to, and still have a little bit of essentials to survive for a day or two, you know. And if I need to, or just hunker out and wait for the water levels to go down. The water levels will go down. They'll go down fast. And so you wait a day on the river, it's worth to see what's coming down, and it's worth to wait to see if it went down. You're still going to, and you're going to even have better flows behind that bump. How, to how run fast it. did it go back down when, uh, when D-Rod and them got flooded out? I don't know. They I never, flew out, so they didn't see. Yeah, there's a link, and you can read all about that, or you can go to Daniel Rodriguez podcast we did a while back, and he kind of goes over that story a little bit more in detail and see kind of what they did. And how they were planned. He's a military guy, and so he—that's kind of how he thinks. You know, we call—he calls it an egress route. You know, we call it to get the hell out of their route. The GTFO but, route. Yeah. And so, uh, it's really good to be prepared when you come up to a camp and look around to see where you're at, see how you're going to get out. Because when we're talking about as you get halfway through this river, the canyon walls become very steep, and access out of there can become you may think that that canyon or that draw is going to be a good route but when the flood comes that becomes a major waterfall that you can't get out of so you have to look and and decide are you going to camp on the banks outer bank or the inner bank of that river and look to see because if you're on the inner bank where the the walls aren't as steep that's going to be your best side to camp on even though it may not be the prettiest Mm -hmm. another thing is is camp if you're coming in to camp early Make sure you're camping on the side with shade and not the other way. That way you get the morning sun versus the afternoon sun. That last camp, though, we had no... Yeah, you didn't have a choice. You didn't have a choice. Yeah, you could have camped on the other side in the river, Kane. Shoot, most of the... Bushwhacked. I'm trying to (coughs) Most of the camps are on that... Yeah, and I think one thing I recommend... That eastern side. If you find yourself ahead of schedule... Where you have, like, oh, we got to slow down. Slow down, but make it to Painted Canyon and stay an extra day. Yeah. It's worth the recreation of it. Because Painted Canyon is probably, if I had to say it, is the prettiest place in Texas. It is, yeah. It's the prettiest place I've ever seen. Yeah. I haven't been to Big Bend, though. but Big Bend is pretty, but this is just such a unique place. And Painted Canyon goes up to the right river right and you can go hike back there what a couple of miles if you feel like it i didn't go i got sick and there are big old boulders that you can crawl on and you know there's a spring that runs through there um if the if you've had recent rains that spring will start flowing and 
there's cliff walls you can climb up. It's just a really pretty place. If you go down further down on the right, there's this big shelter. And it's like, it's the most amazing thing. It's like the Indians left one day and they left all their stuff and you can still see it. You know, there's a oh, grinding yeah, the little, stone yeah. and it's still sitting there. And on the walls, there's paint paintings. And it's just an amazing place. Shaman? No, that's not. That's all the way at the end by the bridge. But there's a shaman on there, right? There, no, uh, I don't remember. I thought there was a shaman on that one. There's something. There's a lot of paintings. They're real faint, and you have to kind of look sometimes at different angles. But you can tell because there's like a an Indian graffiti, I guess is what they call it, where there's a big paint mark and a bunch of slashes on it. Mm-hmm. It looks like a, a, a tally mark on there. And they don't really know if it was when that got vandalized, but they think it's older than not like Indians vandalized other Indians yeah kind of thing but when you sit there in that shelter you sit there in that shelter you can just you can't help but to talk about another time and what it was like with these these um, these natives living in this canyon living off of a river that looks totally different than what it did then you know then it had different flows it wasn't damp and it was pristine you know and you just wonder what it was like and when you're down that river that's what you think you're like man i'm going through another time and it's worth every bit of effort mm-hmm. so hey let's wrap this up a little bit i know we've been rambling on for a while but we always have a closing thought with this and kind of gives people a perception of individuals and what you think but if you were let's do a recommendation for the river and a closing thought i wouldn't prepare for this I know you. You got to throw it in. Oh uh, man, my recommendation is uh, bring some whiskey and soak it all in. Don't get too caught up trying to catch fish, and just really, really take in the scenery and like what you're experiencing. Because before you know it, like six, seven days will pass with the blink of an eye, and all you'll have left is the pictures that you took, and they just don't do it justice. It's been three years, two years or three years since I've been, and I cannot wait to figure out a way to go back. Yeah. It's, it's, it's really, it's a really, really special place. It's really difficult and it's hard, but it is worth, it is, it was, it'd be worth it if it was twice as hard. Yeah, for sure. You know, I think to piggyback off of Mike, I think get your gear right. Don't try to bring the kitchen sink. Go and enjoy it for what it is, the remoteness. Don't try to make it a party. You're going to miss too much of a place, just like Mike said, that is just so special and untouched by this world and so hidden from the outside that only a few handful of people go through it a year. And you can experience something you know that is yours you know when you go through don't forget to stop and turn around and look the other way don't forget just to take in a moment and set your paddle down set your fishing pole and just drift for a little bit because you just experience something that is otherworldly another time and i think it's important to 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 be on it with the limited supplies and think about it in that setting and how people used to live there. And it's filtered. I mean, it's just 
it's just covered in remnants of the past. And to be part of that for a moment is, is hard to pass up. And bring some lotion, because your skin gets really dry in the river. From the water. From the water and the sun, being wet all day. Like, yeah. not just sunscreen, but bring some, like, good lotion. Another, my, my concluding thought is, <laughs> is we, besides lotion, um, is that's one place you don't find trash. You don't see trash anywhere. You see campsites that have been cleaned back up. It's really, really hard to find that, and you don't find that anymore. And so, you should come out with bagfuls of trash in your kayak. Everybody should be a part of it. Everybody should have bring a trash bag, and you fill it up, you know, and bring out more than you do. And if you make a campfire, right, think about, the, remember... This land, it takes a lot of years to recover from a fire, and that place can get very dry. And it may not look very sparse, but when you're driving from Comstock to the headwaters, you will see where thousands of acres burned, and it's the same country just from a little spark. And you can see the remnants of that all the way to Pandale. And remember just your fire. If you don't put it out, you don't clean up those ashes and do all of that, you're going to end up um, regretting that. And it's going to land over and there's aren't going to like it and they're going to shut down that access. And it's not far off from being shut down because there's not many shuttles. So uh, if there is any, I mean, there's one that I know of and he's listed on my website. So go over there and look at our website and, and he'll give you all the info. But it's starting to become harder and harder to get to. And more and more people are wanting to. So make sure you just respect it before they shut it down. Shut down the axis. The landowners are friendly right now. But don't take advantage of that. And there's mountain lions. Yeah. Go check out the website. Daniel's really put together a, a superb trip plan that is better. The trip plan he has now is better than the one that we have used both both trips. Like, uh, it, it just go 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 to www.adventureonoutdoors.com. Go to trip information, and uh, and you'll see some of the trip planning stuff he's done for the Devils and the Pecos, and it's top notch. It's it's everything you need to get geared up and to get down the river and get down the river safely. Don't forget to follow us on Instagram at Adventure On Outdoors. Adventure uh, underscore on underscore outdoors. outdoors. Yeah. Freaking underscore. If you just type in and search Adventure on Outdoors, we're the one. Oh, it comes come up. up? Yeah, it comes okay. up top. Uh, visit our website. And go, if you don't mind, go back and check out some of the previous posts. If you listen to the Devil's River Trip Plan, talk a little bit more about gear and some other things that will really help you on this. If you've done the Devil's, remember, keep it lighter on the Pecos. Ice chest, you want to bring one. We all do, but by the end of it, you... It's not the best thing to be carrying along because the, the river, it just adds weight, and you will feel it, especially if you get into that um, lake section. Oh, and go, uh, if you go to our YouTube channel, Yep. I don't have the web address for that, but just search Adventure on Outdoors, or Daniel's probably got a link to it on the webpage. Yep. If he doesn't, he'll add it. Uh, we've got, we've done a few like highlight reels for the Pecos. From, from the Pecos, and, uh, and you can check that out and see all the awesome.
And, and you can look at also, uh, we put up Robert Fields links to all his videos on a page that uh, Pecos River, a return to the Pecos under expeditions. And you can see the whole river in all its glory and, and learn a lot from that as well. So really, if you come to this site, you can get the information firsthand. You can get it through video. You can get it through writing. And, you, and there's a lot of other things that I've learned on these trips that I've put in through backpacking mills and stuff like that. So really go through it. I, I, I think there's a lot of good information. And um, if you have any other questions, feel free to contact us through Facebook, email, and Instagram. So appreciate it, guys. Thanks for listening. Until Holla. next time. Holla.